Welcome to Extraordinary, coming to you from the Robertson Center at Success Academy in New York City. Built for educators by educators, the Robertson Center brings together believers in the power of public education to deliver on its promise. Welcome back. We hope you got some much-needed rest and relaxation over the summer. Thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing us to learn from you. And thank you for going on this journey with us. In this episode, Rebecca O'Neill, Executive Director of the Robertson Center, sits down with Jenny Bevel, founder of Happy Heart Teachers, to talk about the benefits of mindfulness meditation and how it can impact both teachers and students. Thank you for being here, Jenny. We're so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is so great. Um, well, we always start with the same question, okay. which is, can you tell us about that one teacher, someone who really changed the way you think about the world or the way that you think about yourself, someone who sort of looms large in your memory? Yeah, well, it's I mean, there are a lot in my life, um, but there there's one group of teachers that looms large. And it was a group that I worked with for 10 years at PS8 in Brooklyn um, out of that group which was uh, Angie, Noel, Brandy, Melissa, a wonderful group and a wonderful principal. Um, Angie was the one. And um, she. so we co-taught um, for many years together. I was there through the Guggenheim Museum as an enrichment teacher, and she was the classroom teacher, fourth grade. And she was the queen of social emotional learning. I didn't know what that was at the time. Um, but there was one day, can I tell a short story? Please. There was one day where... Um, we were making a mural and one kid said to another kid that his art was bad. Angie stopped the whole class. And basically we spent the whole rest of the hour and a half period on that. Interesting. And everybody in the end felt really good. We were a community. We were calling in instead of calling out. It was amazing. And those two boys who struggled, they, they, their struggles were done. And everybody else welcomed them back. And it was just, it was such a wonderful thing. And then I went home and picked up my own kid from school, different yeah. school. <laughs> told him the story. I was so excited. He was also in fourth grade at the time. Okay. Told him the story and he looks at me and goes, mom, that would never happen at my school. And it just was so heartbreaking to me. And that's when I kind of put it together that, oh, what we're doing here is special. Interesting. And so you, you have the, the wonderful advantage of getting to spend a lot of your time with with teachers, which is certainly I love it. Gift. I love uh, it. And I wonder, can you just Talk to how did you find your way to this work? You know your background and then yeah. how you came to this. Well, it's interesting. I was, I never wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an artist. Okay. Um, I had, like many of us do, really bad art teachers my whole life that basically tried to kill my love of art, did not oh, succeed. No. Um, and and so I kind of, over time, came to teaching. I sort of backed into it. I fell into okay. it through museum education. Um, and I loved it. I loved co-teaching. Co-teaching is my sweet spot. And um, I love building community. I love doing all those things. And I was like, oh, this is teaching? Like, I totally didn't get it. Um, once I got it, it became my passion. And I love the kids. I taught in classrooms for 20 years, um, public school, private school, charter school, mostly through enrichment programs, through museums. 
Um, and then in about, I think it was 2012, um, I had participated in a research study through the Guggenheim at PS8 about creativity and can you teach creativity? And that changed everything. Um, it was just, it blew my mind open to think about trying to teach creativity. I was like, oh, well, I'm an art teacher. Aren't I doing that? Sure. No, it turns out not, not unless you're really thinking about it. Um, and so from there, the Guggenheim asked me to create a mentorship program to disseminate the findings of this study. And I was like, no, I don't want to teach teachers. I like the kids. I like the little ones. I like Much the, cuter. oh, it was such, it was, they had to shoehorn me out of there. And then they were like, no, the teachers need you. And and after I did it for a few years, I started to feel more comfortable and got, got really excited about the impact I could have teaching teachers. Sure. And also I just, the uh, teachers to me, I look at them and they're my class, you right. know, like they're adults, but they're, we're all that eight-year-old kid. Yeah, absolutely. And so talk to us about what you are teaching now, what your program, what your program is up to. Yeah. So Happy Heart Teachers, um, it, it sort of grew um, very organically and gradually. Um, around 2008, I was at PS8 and I had a, a, an assistant teacher, a student teacher, basically Alana Ingber, who is my partner in Happy Heart Teachers. And we just synced up. We were just like such a, a you know, we just gelled. Mm -hmm. we we're both Sagittarius. Like we're, we always laugh. We're like, we're the same person. You know, like I'll call her and the same thing will be happening. It, it just, it always happens. Um, and so we were in a workshop at the Guggenheim and, and they were talking about co-mentorship and we're like, oh, that's what we have. Right. It's a co-mentorship. So we cultivated that. When Alana left um, me, she actually got hired at Success. So yeah. Success was her first job, Success Upper West. Um, she was there for five years. And then during that time, we got together and created the first mentorship program between Success and the Guggenheim. Wow. And so we um, did that for a while, a couple of years. And then at that point, I had an opportunity to leave New York. And so did she, of course, because we're seeing <laughs> up. Um, so I went to Montana and she went to California and we're both pursuing our own mindfulness practices by now. And we just started talking like, wouldn't it be great if we could like, um, like make something for teachers with this. And so we proposed it to success. And in 2016, I want to say, um, we did our first mentorship with success art teachers and mindfulness. And some of the teachers were teachers we had mentored. I had mentored through the, the Guggenheim mentorship. So some of the teachers who we'll see tonight, I've known for many years through this work. That is so wonderful. And yeah. so talk to me about what is the program for tonight? What so the program doing? for tonight is, um, well, it's it's fun for me. So I hope it'll be fun <laughs> for everybody. Um, what I've tried to do is when I, we have an online course that people can take and it's wonderful. It's virtual, obviously virtually guided. Um, but when I'm with people in the room, I like to do an embodied practice. So we ditch the PowerPoint. We ditch the note taking. We really want people to get into their bodies. And so I do kind of a, a talk, I do like a, um, a listen, practice, reflect little segments. So, and I got this, I have to say, I stole this um, <laughs> from a teacher named Tara, Tara Brock, who's a mindfulness teacher. She has an amazing podcast. Um, she also is a favorite teacher of mine. Um, so definitely check her out. But she does the same thing. She'll talk a little, she'll tell a little story, um, and then you'll get to practice it to feel it in your body and then there'll be a little reflection. So you kind of just, I mean, it's good teaching, right? It, it just helps us integrate um, everything we're talking about. And so when did mindfulness become a part of your 
life. I, you talked a little bit about art yeah. and creativity and teaching, but when, when mindfulness? Well, creativity and mindfulness, it turns out, have a lot in common. Sure. A lot of the behaviors that you cultivate to be creative are also mindfulness behaviors. I didn't know that at the time. Um, but the way I sort of again, backed into mindfulness was um, after 9-11, probably on 9-11, I was pregnant on 9-11. And um, I just, I was like in my apartment, I was like, oh, I'm not going to lose this baby. I was like, I just started breathing. My body wow. knew that what I needed was to sit and breathe. And so I was, it was the first time I ever intentionally breathed. And um, after that, I kind of, you know, I started going to prenatal yoga and I got into a lot of the practices um, for, uh, you know, for that 9-11, for those of us who lived here on that day, it wasn't over on that day. It lasted for years in our nervous systems. Mm -hmm. And so I really used those practices for that. And, um, and then I didn't, I didn't put two and two together like, oh, I could bring this into the classroom right. until I have a picture actually, which I wish I had brought of the day when I had a kind of an unruly class and they came in after lunch and they were big class and it was always, what do you do? <laughs> and so one day I was like, hey, everyone sit down, we're just going to breathe. And I, ha I have a picture of it and they all sat down and they just, they just did it. And it was like magic. And I was like, oh, Alana was there. We were together. We were like, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? And even after that, it took me a few years to think like I could do this at any other time. It right, was, I always right. saved it for like when things got crazy so and then we would breathe. But now I do it all the time because I've learned, and this is what I teach people. You do it all the time so that it's easier to get there when got you it. need it. So interesting. And so, so let's talk a little bit about sort of what the stakes are here, right? So you, you know, you have really committed to this idea of, teaching these practices to teachers, mm -hmm. presumably so they can change their practice with their students. Right. So starting with teachers, what are the stakes? Why do you think that this is important? Well, I mean, I'll refer here to another teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Buddhist teacher. Um, his book, Happy Teachers, um, actually, I won't, I can't remember the title at the moment, but it's something about Happy Teachers Change the World. I think that is the title. Um, when I read that book, I was like, I wish I wrote this book. Um, but it's based on, you know, his practices as a Buddhist monk and his um, Plum Village tradition, but it's not a Buddhist book. It's all about education and bringing mindfulness practices into secular life. Um, and I mean, based Basically, what he talks about and what I believe and, and think about a lot is we're all struggling. Everybody, every person is struggling. Kids are struggling. And a lot of us are suffering. And I mean, struggle is part of life. We do have to struggle. Resilience is a behavior we cultivate in mindfulness to help with the struggle. But we don't have to suffer. Sure. And there are definitely ways that we can help people mitigate that suffering. And that to me, I mean, I've worked with so many teachers over my career. And it's like you, you see the suffering, you feel the suffering, and the kids feel it. And our energy is all going together and mingling. And, and we need to all suffer less. Um, and, and we can. Yeah. And so what, what does that look like for a teacher who is suffering less? What did his life look like before and after? Yeah. Well, most, I mean, I would say a big part of it is being less reactive, you know, so something happens, you know, a surprise, you know, you're, you're, 
called out on something, you're criticized on something, your kids are acting out, the lesson didn't fly, they're, they're, you feel like they're not, you know, all that piles on, right? And then we start spinning out the story, I'm a terrible teacher, mm -hmm. why did I do this job? This is too hard, I can't do it. So getting all of that sort of under control is mindfulness. So it's like being, befriending your mind so that when all that story starts spinning out, you can stop that and be like, nope, I'm right here, I'm with this kid, I'm doing this thing. Let me self-soothe a little bit. Maybe I put my hand on my heart. Maybe I breathe a little bit. Maybe I say to myself, you know, Jenny is not giving me a hard time. Jenny is having a hard time. Yeah. You know, just a little <laughs> bit of self-compassion, a little bit of compassion can go so far. Right. So obviously then this would have implications for teacher sustainability, teacher happiness, Absolutely. teacher retention, all of Yeah. So happy teachers equal happy students. That's right. just a fact. Right. And there's so much um, raining down on teachers and we we want to change that. Um, but I, I did get a chance to see um, Sir Ken Robinson talk a couple years ago at MSU in Montana. And it was a packed room. It's a snowstorm packed room anyway, all teachers, all students. And he gave a great talk, obviously, because he's Sir Ken. And he, at the end, when, a, when someone stood up and raised their hand saying what everybody was saying, he's like, what you're saying is amazing, but like, we've got all these things raining down on us, you right. know, standards and, and testing and all this stuff. And, and how are we going to be these creative, beautiful teachers? And, and he kind of stood there, you know, leaning on his cane for a minute. And he's like, he just looked out at the room and he goes, well, I will just tell you that all of that is real and it is coming at you and stuff. But the other fact is that you are the one in the room. And you could just feel the whole auditorium go, oh, I'm the one in the room. Sir Ken is giving me permission to do what I need to do for my well-being and my students' well-being. So a little bit of mindfulness is not going to stop us from doing the testing and, and meeting the standards and all of that. But front-loading a little bit of mindfulness and, and keeping up those practices throughout the year is going to make all that like less reactive, less of a, of a you know... I don't even know what to call it, a monster. Mm -hmm. And so so can you talk a little bit about what that looks like then for students then, right? I feel like I can mm -hmm. picture the teacher before yeah. and after. What is the implication for students? Well, for students, I think there's two kind of main parts. One is kids are captive. You know, they're captive audience. They don't have a choice about being at school. So when something goes wrong or they feel a strong emotion, they feel frustrated, the main thing, their main fear is being disconnected from their community. So that's why Happy Heart really promotes a peace corner instead of a timeout. And we really promote teaching students how to self-soothe. First of all, how to recognize that overwhelm and it's coming, see it coming. I'm getting overwhelmed. I feel something. What is this? Being able to name those emotions. So we have to have some emotional literacy for that. And then having some self-soothing behaviors. I need to go to the Peace Corner. I need to go breathe. I need to go touch this fuzzy pillow. I mean, if we had an animal, if we had a music, if we all the things, the, the essential oils help, but helping kids at very young ages learn how to self-soothe so that they don't need us to soothe them and they don't get into bad behavior or disruptive behavior because they're frustrated. Absolutely. And so, so it's hard to imagine, right, that teachers wouldn't have kind of an appetite for a lot of the things that you just described. Um, but for folks who are just brand yeah. new to this, have never, you know, maybe even new to 
sort of yoga or any of these practices, yeah. what would you suggest as kind of a way in, if folks just wanted to kind of dip yeah. the toe and say, is this for me or not? Yeah. How might they do that? Um, well, the, my way in was definitely, and I still do a lot of guided meditation. So I love the Insight Timer app. It's free. Um, there's categories of meditation. You can look around for something that's two minutes, one minute, 10 minutes, and you find your favorite ones. And then you're like, those are your go-tos. Um, so that's one way. Um, podcasts are fantastic. Tara Brock is a great beginner teacher. She explains everything super clearly. Um, and there's a movie on Netflix called Walk With Me, which is about Thich Nhat Hanh. And you see people go and, and come into his presence and feel this mindfulness and practice it. You can see it from the outside and you see people just oh, relax and, and be in it. So I think those and, and also maybe having an accountability buddy, somebody that you're in it with that you can compare notes to. I mean, a teacher's great, but a peer-to-peer -peer, um, connection is also really good. And do you find there's sort of a, a prescription, right, for how much people would need to sort of build this into their day in order to feel benefits or... You know, well, yeah, I mean, the ben I mean, this kind of goes to that sort of misperceptions question. Um, there, there's no one right way to do it. Okay. And sitting in silence, like with a completely clear mind is, is just one kind of tiny part of it. Really what we're looking for is something we can carry into our daily life, right? That we don't need like a Zen room to, to be in. Um, so really just um, connecting to your breath. I would say that's step number one. Notice that you're breathing. Notice your thoughts. Notice what they are. Are they toxic? Are they helping you? And then start to get some strategies of how to just befriend your mind. And it it we're it's an uphill battle because our culture, this is absolutely bucking the tide of Western American culture, which is competition and frenzy and workaholism and achievement. And this is a, a really different kind of, of way to look at the world. So I wonder if maybe you would be willing to do a little exercise. Sure. Sort of give us a taste of this. And I think this is going to be a very good example of not always having the exact right conditions. <laughs> but I understand there's some sort of teacher celebration with a theme that involves monster mash and thriller. Right. Well, it um, is it's the day on, before Halloween. So. <laughs> going on next door. So we may have some background noise, but I would love um, just again with this eye towards for those of us who are just sort of exploring what's possible here. Um, maybe you could take us through a little exercise. Yeah. Well, I, I'll share. I'll share two. I'll tell you one, and okay. then we'll do one. Great. So, one. My favorite one to do in the moment. I call it. We call it like an eyes open practice where you don't have to be alone or in a private quiet space is called it Thich Nhat Hanh calls it chop wood carry water and so it's like you know you got to do the dishes or you got to wash the paintbrushes or you got to pick up your kids stuff you know and you just in your mind while you're doing it you're saying to yourself chop wood carry water chop wood carry water because those are the things that we all have to do those mm -hmm. those chores that sort of it's part of life it, we don't get to just like be happy and carefree all the time <laughs> right. and so but if you can put a mantra to it like chop would carry water the frustration's taken out of it so it's discharged from the feeling but also your mind is occupied so it's not going i need to call my mom and i forgot to pay this bill and I, you know because that 
kind of background right. noise can can really eh, get us really constrained and clenched up. So if you just pop in a mantra, chop wood, carry water, and maybe you're breathing while you're doing that, and maybe you're cleaning the tub in a mindful rhythm that's not, you know, <laughs> I'm frustrated because I have to leave. But, it, but you're just like, you know, I'm going to do this until I'm done. And then I'm going to have this beautiful tub and I'm going to have gratitude for that. Um, so that I wanted to share that because I use that one a lot. Um, walking meditation is another one that you can take a breath on one step, an in-breath on one step and an out-breath on another step. Even if you're walking to the train or you're standing on the train, you can do the chop wood, carry water or the walking meditation. Um, but the one I'll share with you right now, um, we'll start with a mindful pause. And this is something that Tara Brock teaches. And this is a way, this works with our students too, is just to learn to take that breath. So when something starts to overwhelm you, so, so let's sit. And the first thing you want to do is sort of feel your feet on the floor, feel your seat on the chair or the cushion. Um, I like to rest my dominant hand inside my non-dominant hand. That's one of the signals to your parasympathetic nervous system that it's okay to relax. And just take some deep breaths in and out through your nose. And maybe think about one thing today that happened that was kind of surprising or frustrating. Maybe the last time you had kind of like a surprise that was not pleasant. Maybe it was a deadline you forgot about. Call from a parent. And try to just remember, not fully, but a little bit, that feeling of overwhelm coming. And see it coming. And just sit right down into it and pause and take a couple breaths. And that scary thing is still there, but you're just breathing. And that mindful pause can give you time to think about a response rather than just rushing to react. And this is definitely a practice that the more you do it, the better you get at it. Sometimes you, you see it go by and you're like, oh, I could have done the mindful pause there. <laughs> and then as you breathe, an add-on that you can put here is called one-to-one -one breath. So trying to even out the inhale and the exhale. So breathing in for a count of three and out for a count of three. So breathe in, one, two, three, pause, and breathe out, one, two, three. And extending that exhale in that way is another signal to our parasympathetic nervous system that it can calm down. We just want to be able to calm our nervous system to give us time to respond thoughtfully rather than reacting. 
And this is something you can even do with your students. If you have a student who's struggling and they come to you, you can do the mindful pause together. And then this can be a strategy that your students can use on their own. And you might even teach them resting the dominant hand inside the non-dominant hand. And then you know when you see a child do that, you know they're struggling. You can just make eye contact with them and be like, yeah, I see you breathing. I see you doing that. Good job. And then you can just take maybe one more deep breath in and then blow it out. <sighs> Flutter your eyes open. And sometimes I like to have kids just kind of shake their hands out and brush off their fingers, just get that feeling away. That's so lovely. Thank you. You're so welcome. Well, before we let you go, tell us how uh, people can find you. What's the best way if folks want to want to follow your work or get in touch? Right? Yeah, well, our Instagram is the best way. It's at Happy Heart Teachers, um, it, and that is where we sort of post, um, you know, ongoing practices, workshops, um, whatever we're doing. We also have an online course, and the online course is um, it can be self guided. You can um, enter into that by yourself. You can also enter in like Success Academy is as a group. And um, so there you can watch the, the podcast episodes and the video episodes, do the journaling. There's a workbook. And then we have um, mentoring calls where we get together and we sort of um, compare notes and have guided reflection on some of the practices. That is wonderful. Well, yeah. thank you so much for thank being you. here. Thank you. I'm it, so excited. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. I'm so happy to be back at success. <laughs> wonderful. Okay, thank you, Jenny. Thank you again for joining us for Extraordinary. To keep up with Jenny and the incredible work she's doing, you can visit happy-heart-teachers.teachable.com or you can follow Happy Heart Teachers on Instagram or Facebook. If you'd like to learn more about the Robertson Center, check us out at www.successacademies.org slash Robertson Center. Connect with us on Twitter at Robertson, C-T-R-S-A, and on Instagram at Robertson Center. Extraordinary was brought to you today by Samantha Williams and her team at the Robertson Center with production and editing by Stephen LaRosa and me, Joseph Frittman. Our theme song is by Stephen LaRosa. Special thanks to the Robertson Foundation for their crucial support. And thank you to every student and educator in our community. We know these past few months have not been easy, but we've stood together through an unprecedented public health crisis and stood up for one another as we face down and challenge anti-blackness across America. We're truly in awe of your bravery and your brilliance and everything that you're doing to give children someone to look up to in this historic moment. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Extraordinary.